All right, well, as you can see, as I said a second ago, we're calling this new sermon series The Best Summer Ever. And, and you may be thinking to yourself, well, it's still spring, and this has been a spring to forget, so why in the world are we calling this The Best Summer Ever? You know, I, I, I did a video this past Friday, and one of the things that I said was, um, you know the saying, when life gives you lemons, you make lemonade, Right? And so what our goal is throughout this sermon series is that we're going to make some lemonade with the lemons that are thrown our way. Because um, we need that, don't we? Man, we need, um, we need Jesus. We know that for sure. And, and we need the presence of God to, to descend upon his church. We need the presence of God to descend upon the streets of our nation and, and around our world. You know, think to yourself for just a moment, what are some of the best summer memories that you have. Think about some of, of, of the memories that you have um, from summers of yesteryears. You know, for, for me, when I think about summer, um, you know, I, I got married during the summer. Um, both of my kids were born um, during the summer. I think about, you know, the camps that I was able to lead, the mission trips that I've been on, um, you know, the thing that I love to do during the summer, you know, is grill outside. I love watching blockbuster movies, going to the theater. Um, that's been, you know, I don't know if that's going to happen this summer, but these are things that I love to do over the summer. And, you know, these are memory making things. And I know for you, there are certain things that you do during the summer that, man, they're, they're lasting epic vacations. Well, what's our epic vacations going to look like this year? We're probably not getting on airplanes like we have in the past maybe going camping or going to a hotel for a couple of nights or something like that. But things are going to be different. We know that this summer, but I do also know that we can still make some amazing memories. As a body of believers, um, as a faith family, um, we can make memories this summer. And that's my prayer for each of us. Um, this morning, we are going to begin a study from 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. We're going to read and study the words from a disciple who had some amazing memories of his time with Jesus. Uh, and even this morning, you know, as a way of illustrations, you know, a lot of times I'll share personal stories. I don't have a whole lot of personal stories to share with you today. I'm going to share with you some stories from the Apostle John. You know, as we reach back to Scripture and, and, and kind of pick his memories is what we're going to do this morning. So here's what we know about, about John. John probably wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John somewhere around 90, the year 90, when he was probably in his mid-80s. And so what does that tell us? That tells us that age is not a factor when it comes to making an impact for the Lord, right? Doesn't matter if you're 14 in this room, or if you're 95 in this room, all of us can make an impact for the Lord Jesus Christ. John wrote um, this epistle to encourage believers, to bring joy to believers, to promote purity amongst believers, to protect Christians from false teachers, and to assure the Christian of their salvation. You know, there were false teachers within the church of Ephesus, and that's probably where John wrote this book. Um, these false teachers, you know, as we walk through First um, and Second Timothy, um, uh, uh, you know, this past year we looked at at the writing of Timothy when he wrote to the church in Ephesus and trying to rid that 
church of those false teachings? Well, well, John finds himself not only writing to the church at Ephesus, but the, the, the church throughout the known world as well. There was a, a form of heresy that was sweeping across the land during this day. It was called Gnosticism. And some of you are familiar with, with Gnosticism, but it was a fa- pagan philosophy that taught matter was evil and only the spirit was good. And, and there was many different splinters to this heresy. But, but one key component and one dangerous aspect of it is that they did not believe in the incarnation. They did not believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. They did not believe that Jesus was both 100% God and 100% man. They believed that the Spirit of God actually descended upon Jesus when um, the dove um, came down at his baptism. They also believed that right before he took his final breath on the cross, um, the, the Spirit of God left him. And we know that's not true. And John is writing to people that believe that, also telling them that this is absolutely not true. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 John chapter 1. We're going to be looking at the first four verses together this morning. 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, we read these words. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. You know, what we have just read are words from a man who had walked and talked with Jesus. These are words from the last living disciple, from a man whom you would swear moments before he penned these words was actually walking and talking with Jesus, right? Our message point is this, that, that, that it's my prayer as we walk through this sermon series together is that we will find fellowship and joy from the word of life. And we know that the word of life is Jesus, right? And may Jesus bring joy to your hearts and may your fellowship be sweet with him and with one another as we walk through this sermon series over the next coming months as well as we walk through this message this morning. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come before you now, Father. Lord, just asking, Father, that that you will just speak to us this morning as we continue to read and study from your word, as we read the account of, of um, from the disciple John of his time with you, Lord Jesus. I pray that all of us in this room will be um, emboldened, that we will be empowered by your spirit, that we will be set ablaze by you um, and recognize that you have set us apart to be impactors within this world, to change this world for good, to change this world for you, to be a light in the midst of darkness, Father. Help us this morning as we walk through this message together. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, notice our first point. It is this. Christ has eternally existed. In the first part of verse 1, we read, that which was from the beginning. You know, a lot of times when we read epistles, we read um, of, of, of the, the writer beginning by 
by saying, my name is such and such, and I write to you from such and such, and my goal and aim is such and such. John doesn't begin his epistle that way, does he? He dives right in, and he says, that which was from the beginning. He points, he points his readers to um, the beginning and to Genesis 1, as well as he writes, um, he, he pins this, this letter just like he penned the gospel that he wrote, the gospel of John. In John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, these are the words that John wrote. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so what we know about John is John wrote the gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He also wrote the book of Revelation. And so we're seeing this morning all of these first-hand accounts be, be brought to the recesses of his mind and pinned down onto the pages of Scripture. But what John is telling his readers and us this morning is that Christ has always been. Before the material universe, there was Christ. Before the earth was spoken into existence, there was Christ. Before man was formed, there was Christ. Christ has always been, and if Christ has always been, then what you and I can be absolutely certain of is that he is indeed the Son of God. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God? Man, I hope and pray that you do. As we've already discussed, there was false teaching that was sweeping throughout the known world, discrediting the deity of Christ. And as John is wanting his readers to know, he's wanting them to know that Christianity was not some made-up religion that would come and go like the passing of the wind. He is telling his readers and telling us, that, and we know this to be true because Christianity has been around for 2,000 plus years. So we know with absolute certainty that this word has lasted and will continue to last. But But I want to remind us of a story in Acts chapter 5. There's a passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 5 whenever the... the, Apostles stand before the religious leaders and give an account for, for Jesus Christ. But before they do that, they're out in, in Solomon's portico, which was a, um, a, a, a portion of the temple, and, and they're preaching the Word of God. And Scripture tells us that more than ever, believers were being added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So as these people are preaching, people are getting saved, people are getting healed. It's just an amazing sight to see. Well, as you can imagine, and the religious leaders aren't too happy about this because the religious leaders, they thought that they had finally silenced those belonging to the way, right? They had finally silenced um, Jesus' apostles, but here they are. They're in the temple and they're preaching again and, and, they're, and people are getting saved and people are getting healed and these religious leaders are beyond infuriated. So what they do is they arrest these apostles. They arrest them, they throw them in jail, thinking that, hey, we will silence them behind bars. Well, in the middle of the night, here's what happens. An angel of the Lord appears, and, he, and, 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 the, and the prison doors are opened. And, and these men leave that prison, and the angel of the Lord tells them, do not stop 
preaching the word of God. And so the next morning, here the, these men are again. They're standing before the people. They're preaching the word of God. And you can be certain, again, that people are probably getting saved and that people are getting healed. When, when the religious leaders find out that, that these men aren't in prison any longer, but in the streets again, preaching the word of God, they have them arrested again. They have them brought before the religious leaders. And I want us to read here in Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 27, these words. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. I love that. We must obey God rather than men. And that goes for us today too, doesn't it? We must obey God rather than men. And we go on um, and, and, and read in this story that these religious leaders, man, they want these men dead right there on the spot. They want them silenced. They want um, those belonging to the way no longer preaching and prophesying and proclaiming the good news of salvation. But before um, they are put to death, there is a religious leader that stands up by the name of Gamaliel. And we read here in Acts 34, 5, 34 through 40, what this man says. Okay, he, we read, but a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put these men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before the, these days, Thaddeus rose up claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostle, they beat him and, and beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. You know, false teachers have come and gone and they will continue to come and go. That's been happening for 2,000 plus years, and it will continue to happen for, for, for whoever, however long until the Lord Jesus Christ returns. But there is one teaching and one teacher that, that, that you and I know with absolute certainty is truth. And that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ, right? John is making that clear to his readers this morning. Notice our second point. John not only tells his readers that Jesus preexisted time, but he also tells them that Christ came and dwelt among us. So our second point is Christ took on flesh. Again, in verse 1 we read, That which was from the beginning, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was manifest made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. You know, now John was the last 
living disciple when he wrote these words. Okay, he is telling his readers that you can trust my words. I am an eyewitness account. I am, he is an eyewitness account to the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He witnessed the supernatural happen. He performed the supernatural when the Holy Spirit came upon him. That is the kind of man that we're dealing with here. Think about that for a moment. Think about all that John experienced. His eyes beheld the miracles of Jesus. He witnessed the lame walk, the lame, the deaf hear, the blind see, the dead rise to life again. He witnessed Jesus defy nature. He calmed the storms. Jesus walked on water, and John behold held these things. And he also witnessed Jesus take this little boy's lunchbox, a, a couple of fish and a few loaves of bread, and he multiplied that and fed hundreds of people. John witnessed all of these things with his very eyes. Not only did John witness these miracles, he witnessed Jesus performed these sayings while he was clothed with flesh, but John also witnessed the, the flesh of Jesus peeled away on the Mount of Transfiguration, didn't he? And, he and, and as he's given testimony of all that he's seen and all that he's done and all that he's witnessed, this, this has to be vividly in his mind. Think about the transfiguration, okay? In Matthew chapter 17, 1 through 8, we read, And after six days Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And then his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, is it good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He, he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus. Can you imagine what that would have been like? Can you imagine what it would have been like for these men to see the flesh of Jesus ripped away? Can you imagine what it would have been like to see all of a sudden Moses and Elijah show up and then Jesus all of a sudden just having a conversation with them? How about this cloud as it descended from the heavens and engulfed them all? And from that cloud, the voice of God spoke that this is my beloved son in whom I am well, or I am well pleased. Listen to him. John witnessed all of these sayings. And as this is going on, these men hit the ground in, in, in utter fear, which we probably would respond in a similar way, right? They hit the ground, man, because they are fear-filled. And in an instant, the scene changes. Jesus once again takes on flesh, and he comes over to them and touches them and tells them to have no fear. You know, this is the Jesus that John encountered. And this is the Jesus that John wanted his readers to encounter, that he wanted us to encounter even this morning. They see Jesus' flesh ripped away and standing before them, they see him in his glorified state. This, once again, is the Jesus that John is proclaiming to his readers. This Jesus that the false teachers are discredited 
discrediting. He passionately writes, my eyes have seen him. My hands have touched him. My ears have listened to him. What I write is absolutely true. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that God's word is true? Do you believe that these words that John penned are absolutely unequivocally true? I hope and pray that you do. Not only is is God's word to be believed, it is also to be proclaimed. And that leads us to our third point. Christ is to be proclaimed. In verse 3 we read, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You know, John is on a roll here. As he is writing these words, he writes not as a madman, he writes not as a lunatic of a man, but he writes as an emboldened, passionate man. And he makes it clear that he has seen Jesus, that he has heard Jesus, that he has touched Jesus. Now he is proclaiming his encounter with Jesus to others, and he writes as one who cannot help but to proclaim what he has seen, what he has heard, and what he has witnessed. In Acts chapter 4, 18 through 20, we see again and, and witness again John boldly proclaiming such words. In Acts 4, 18 through 20, we read, so they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Is that true of us? Can we not help but speak of what we have seen and heard and witness of of Christ's transformation in our lives and his transformation within the lives of those that we do life with? A believer that has been radically transformed by Jesus, they speak such words not considering the consequences. Think about the 12 disciples. Think about those first 12 men that Jesus said, come and follow me. We know the story of Judas. Judas betrayed Jesus and, 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 and sold him out basically for a bag of coins. And he later would go on and hang himself. Ten of the other disciples, all of them died a martyr's death. But did you know that John, history tells us that under the Roman Emperor Domitian, um, he tried to kill John by having him placed in a boiling cauldron of oil. And, and, and history says that he was placed in that and he survived that. And after he survived that, he was exiled to an island called Patmos. You know what happened there, right? That's where the book of Revelation was written. And, and, and on this island, John once again would witness Jesus in his glorified state. In Revelation 1, 12 through 15, we read, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze and refined in 
in a furnace, and his voice was like the war of many waters. In Revelations 1, 17 through 18, we go on and read, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forever, and I have the keys to death and Hades. Can you imagine what that would have been like for him? Once again, we've already seen him on the Mount of Transfiguration hit the ground. Here again, he hits the ground just like Jesus touched him on the Mount Transfiguration, he touches him here and tells him not to fear and instructs him to write all the things that he has seen and all the things that he has witnessed down on paper. You know why it was written down on paper? So that you and I can, could read it and study it and apply it to our own lives. John proclaimed Jesus to the masses. He also tells us this morning why he proclaimed Jesus to the masses. And this, so this, notice in 3b, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. You know, these early believers were radically changed by Jesus, and they were radically changing others for Jesus. Their goal was to see the nations place their faith and trust in Jesus. These men could not remain silent. As we just read a second ago, where Peter and John say, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. How about you and me? Are we as passionate as Peter and John when it comes to proclaiming the good of news of salvation? Can we too not help but speak of what Jesus Christ has done in our lives? You know, John speaks here and he uses a word, um, fellowship. The Greek word for fellowship means koinonia. This word means to share something significant in common with others. What did these people share in common? They shared their resources. We know that from Acts chapter 2. But they also shared a belief in the resurrected, glorified Jesus Christ. Not only did they share Jesus in common, but they wanted the nations to join with them in fellowship through a personal relationship with Jesus. You know, John loved the church. That's why he is writing this letter. He's writing it to the church so that they too can know Jesus. I love this church. I love the people that make up this church. I love the greater church as well. You know, these days that we are living in now are tough days, aren't they? You know, the days of separation that we experienced um, for, for some weeks were difficult days. Why is that? Why were they so difficult? Because we need each other. We need fellowship with one another. It is a biblical thing, isn't it? You know, Jesus, our, our, you know, when we read of, of the words that were spoken in the garden by God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, when they said that it is not good for Adam to be alone, so they made a helpmate for him. It is not good for us to be alone either. It's not good for us to live independent of one another. And I think we're witnessing that within um, this church and the greater church. We're seeing that as we turn the television on. When, when people get away from the church, they do some pretty dark um, things, don't they? You know, when I think about, you know, um, I read just this past week that, that um, those that have yet, in which is the majority of, 
of, of believers across our nation and world. Um, those that make up the body of Christ, um, and they used a statistic over the four, past four weeks, so I don't know um, when this was done, but they said that um, 50% of all church members have not tuned in to a church service in four weeks. Um, and they went on to say of those 50% that did tune in, 25% of those did not watch their own church service. And so what does that tell us? That tells us that people are, are disconnecting from the church. And that isn't a good thing. We were created for fellowship, created to do life together, not independent of one another. And that's what John is writing about here. And over the weeks to come, we're going to study the importance of fellowship um, with one another as the body of Christ. Um, notice, notice our final point this morning is this. Christ brings fullness of joy. In verse 4, we read, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. You know, the joy John writes about is not the same kind of joy that, that we think about when, when um, our favorite sports team wins the, the national championship or the World Series or the Super Bowl. It's not the kind of joy that we experience when maybe there's a, a set of shoes that we've been wanting for a while all of a sudden show up on clearance. That's not the kind of joy that John is talking about. The kind of joy that John talks about is the kind of joy that comes knowing that you are a child of God, knowing that your sins have been forgiven, knowing that you are made secure by God, and know that you're, knowing that your eternity is settled by God. That is the kind of joy that John writes about. And John says that it is a feeling joy. It is a joy that can be made complete in Jesus. Notice these words that the psalmist penned in Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The kind of joy that John writes about is the kind of joy that comes when a person hears the gospel and responds to the gospel. The kind of joy that happens when your own child or grandchild or friend that you might know places their faith in Jesus Christ. Notice what John writes in 2 John verse 4. He writes, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. When you, when you know someone that comes to Christ, you get pretty pumped up about it, don't you? There, um, it's been a few months ago, but I remember talking with one of our church members um, in, the, in the back of the auditorium, and, and he came up to me one, one Sunday, and he said, hey, my grandchild just accepted Christ. And, you know, he didn't tell me this like an Eeyore would, you know, my grandchild accepted Christ. No, he was pumped up. He was fired up about the fact that his grandchild had placed his faith, their faith in Jesus Christ and repented of their sins. He was pumped up knowing that he's going to spend eternity with his grandchild. That's the kind of joy that we should be experiencing as believers. Remember, John um, lived in a time in which persecution ran rampant. Man, there was destruction, annihilation that was happening all around him. And even in the midst of all of this, John is able to say that we can experience complete joy. Even in the midst of the chaos that we live in today, we too can experience complete and absolute joy this morning. 
And joy doesn't mean happiness. Understand that. Joy means that, that, that there is a, a, a assurance and a confidence about us because of what Jesus Christ has done within us. That's the kind of joy that, that, that John writes about this morning. You know, in closing this morning, you know, here's what we can know. We know that we can trust God's word. We know that we can trust that Jesus is who he claimed to be, that he came, he lived, he died, he conquered death. We know that we can trust that he provided a way for each of us to enter into eternal life, as well as those that, that, that are outside the doors of this church. He, he, he died for them to show them a way that they can gain access to God, but there's only one way, and that is through Jesus. He, what we know is that Jesus is worthy to be proclaimed. We know that fellowship is important and essential, and we also can know that we, too, can, can be joy-filled in our lives. You know, as we close this morning, I don't know what decision you might need to make this morning. You know, I, I believe and trust that all of us in this room are believers, that we have trusted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and that we've repented of our sins. Um, but I don't know that for sure. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you this morning to place your faith and trust in him to repent of your sins and to cry out to Jesus to be Lord and Savior of your life. Um, you may be here and 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 this morning, man, you just need to spend some time in prayer. Spend some time in prayer and, and just um, reflect and ask the Lord, man, is my life joy-filled? Man, am I living a life um, that is abundant and full in Jesus Christ? Am I living a life that is fear-filled instead of joy-filled? I don't know what decision you need to make, but let's stand together, and I want to lead us in a time of prayer this morning. Father God, we come before you now, Lord Jesus, just thanking you for your word, thanking you for the truth of your word, thanking you for John, Father, that, that he was entrusted by you with so much. He was entrusted with the gospel of John. He was trusted with first, second, and third John, trusted with the words that we read in the book of Revelation. He was trusted with so much. And Father, even up until his last breath, he remained faithful to you. And we thank you for that. We thank you that today we can study the truth of your word and the truth from this man that had a personal um, encounter with you. He looked upon you. He heard from you. He touched you. He was loved by you, and he loved you. May that be said of all of us in this room, that we love you and that we are loved by you. Father, just move now during this time of invitation, however you choose. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.